a short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. show hey happy new year cold war style buddy how are you doing i'm good uh australia day uh, was yesterday um and uh i'll get into that in a second but uh how are you doing well you said something about putting your back out a couple of things i could tell you how i'm doing but in this post-truth world that i live in (laughs) fucking matter anyway uh i'm doing well i was at my desk dropped a piece of paper bent down to pick up the paper while still seated in the chair think i broke a rib so if you hear me uh breathing if my breathing is very labored for the next three hours i'm not trying to be sexy and it's not a 1-800 number or whatever but i'm just getting older hey thanks for asking yeah, it happens to us all. You're over the 5-0 mark now, man. You've got to be careful about bending over and picking up pieces of paper. I will. Um, yes. I want to start by apologizing for the delay that we've had. If you're listening to this in real time, it's been uh, five weeks since mm. we put out a Cold War show. So sorry. We're recording this late January. It was sort of just before Christmas we put out the last one. Wasn't intentional. Nope. Um Thought we were going to be able to squeeze in a recording session yep. in there somewhere. Didn't happen. We had some holidays. I had to go to Melbourne. James Caffin had to had to paint my portrait. Blames, right. Blame James. Blames James. That's what Blame I say. Shame. There we go. Um, in retrospect, we probably should have done the Cold War instead of doing Caesar uh, in the middle there. But anyway, live and learn. I thought we'd manage it. We didn't. My apologies, people. Um, generally... People have been pretty good. I've had some people contact me saying, what's going on? Even though I did post on Facebook saying, hey, uh, we're not going to be recording till late January. Uh, obviously, not everybody's on the Cold War Facebook page. Shame and, yeah. well, yes, A, shame on them. B, only had one person who asked for a refund. I said, hey, I'll refund your money, thinking no one's going to ask for his five <laughs> bucks. But he did. He said, yeah, I want a refund. Uh, Here you go. Here's your five bucks. Feel douche. better now. Like, come on, seriously, we don't work fucking hard enough to justify, you know, a month off. But anyway, um, what I'm going to do yes. to make it up to you, listeners, is a, is a live Facebook live recording uh, or session, chat, whatever you want to call it. Um, so uh, at least myself, maybe Ray, if we can get the time mm-hmm. worked out. We'll we'll jump on Facebook Live and um, and have a bit of a chit chat, and then I'm thinking about doing a Facebook Live recording of the show, mm. where you can tune in and watch us do this live on your Facebook 
screen, whatever the fuck we call that. Right. Um, but no, I'll do. A, I'm going to do a, 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 a just a just a Facebook Live thing. You can jump in and um, ask questions. Tell me I'm an idiot. Whatever you want to do live on I'm Facebook, in. I'll do that. I'll do that in the next week or so um, to try and make up for the yeah. long break we've had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was Australia Day yesterday, as you might guess. Uh, not a big fan of patriotism in any form. Spent no. a lot of time yesterday thinking about patriotism. Patriotism disgusts me generally. I think it's uh, dumb. I think people who are patriotic are dumb. I think they haven't given it much thought. I think it's it's uh, a thinly veiled version of xenophobia and or racism and or nationalism. Uh, I think it's been engineered by the elite to make it easier to trick the people into supporting mm-hmm. wars or uh, of the military or economic kind to view other people as inferior, to view other cultures as inferior. I consider myself a member of the human race, uh, the species. I consider myself a, a citizen of the globe. And as such, I do not support nationalism or patriotism in any form form not to say i don't think there are some great things about living in australia i think i was very lucky to be born in australia i think australia has a lot going for it but um i don't i wouldn't say i love my country as i've said before on various shows i have no idea what that even fucking means it's a piece of dirt how do you love it i like it shape on the map what is wrong with you um so anyway right I thought I thought uh, that it, it was created by the greeting card companies. Um, I stand by that, along with all the other holidays. But I, I could be wrong. I don't could know. be. Could be. It's nah. Could be. Theory. Could be. Crazier things have happened. Yeah. Um. So we're going to get back into Yalta Conference today, Ray. Uh, now I don't know about you, but as it's been two months since we've talked about Yalta. Mm-hmm. It took me a while to kind of remember where the fuck we were up to, but uh, I think I got there in the end. Excellent. Hey, what what number show is this? Oh, good question, Thank my you. dear friend. Trente yes. uh, uh, I think. Trente uh, which is, I'm guessing, French for 31. Could be wrong about that. Mm-hmm. I really can't remember my French, but uh, 31. All right. We're up to. Thank you. So it's been uh, two months since we talked about Yalta. So let's recap again for people listening in real time. Uh, we started with Yalta, then we went and did four episodes of Castro, and now we're back to Yalta. So it's February 1945 in the storyline. Mm-hmm. The uh, big three are meeting in the Crimea. Uh, it's the first time they've met in about 18 months. World War II has another six months left in it. They don't know that, but everyone kind of knows that it's uh, getting close right. to the end, at least for the at least f- for the Germans. And everyone who's anyone knows that the Japanese are running out of steam as well. Um, speaking of the Crimea, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a little knobbly bit down at the bottom of the Ukraine. Uh, it was part of the Soviet Union at in 1945 had been part of Russia since 1783, Mm. uh, which is worth remembering when you hear about how Russia annexed it again in 2014. Uh, It has been part of Russia or the USSR for 210 out of the last 230 years. Right. 
which from what I can gather, because I did a, a little bit of reading on that uh, a year or so ago. Yeah, when the when the uh, I guess the what do you want to call them Soviet Russian troops, excuse me, R- Russian troops marched in. Obviously, not wearing insignia, try to confuse everybody. Yeah, we're not Russians. Um, the Russian people, from what I could gather, were pretty okay with that because they still consider themselves a part of Russia. Obviously, the Ukraine is a whole different situation, but uh, as far as down south, I think the people were were pretty okay with it. From what I've been able to read, I could be wrong. If you're a Russian national, please write us and and let us know if I've got that wrong. Uh, yeah, Crimean Russian national. Crimean I'm sure we've got a lot of those yeah. listening to the show. Tons. Yeah, about seventy percent of the population of the Crimea is uh, Russian, uh, as I understand it. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean they all wanted to be annexed by Russia, but uh, anyway, not the time to get into that. We'll do that at some other point, maybe in our new contemporary politics show that we will be starting soon. Nice. Anyway. Um, Early 1945, uh, the Crimea had only been recently recaptured from the Nazis, fairly devastated. Uh, But these these palaces and the residences that they're all staying in had been quickly uh, got into shape by Mm -hmm. Beria, head of Stalin's uh, secret police. And, of course, he bugged the shit out of everything. (laughs) And... You would have thought that the Americans and the British would have probably, you know, suspected that. Uh, it's not like they didn't know about bugging. At this point, Roosevelt had already installed re- hidden recording equipment in the Oval Office, a mm. la uh, 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 Nixon, because he was concerned that the media were misreporting what he had been saying. He wanted to have his own recording of it for the record. Um, but... Apparently, they didn't really think too hard about it. We're being bugged, so what? Um, What else? Uh, It's obvious even before the conference that Winnie, uh, Winnie the Pooh, Mm -hmm. Winnie the the red-hot, fat baby pig, as his uh, daughter referred to him, is now the junior partner. And uh, he's not taking it very well. Uh, You know, he, as far as he is concerned a british empire big deal b he fought the nazis pretty much alone before the us and the ussr even joined the war but they all know even if he's not prepared to admit it he probably knows it as well the british empire is yesterday's news right it's well, on its last legs everyone yeah, knows it but here's my thing so fdr excuse me uh, roosevelt I, I call him fdr we're on we're on good terms roosevelt um obviously the um, the whole Lend-Lease package, they've been uh, the arsenal of democracy. As we will say time and time again, the Russians are the ones who deserve the credit for kicking the shit out of Nazi Germany. That leaves Britain over there. Yes, they had their heyday, the Battle of Britain they fought on. Uh, they did some amazing things in North Africa and the Mediterranean, but they are now the junior partner. And uh, everybody's assuming that Stalin wisely or not is not going to give up anything he's anything he's been able to capture at this point and we're going to get into his paranoia which is completely justified but but churchill is going to go down swinging and you have to admire that about him because even though he's pissed at stalin and stalin doesn't like him very much they're on 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 the opposite ends of the political spectrum um fdr is going to take advantage of that to kind of get what he wants but still you just got you've got to feel for churchill and you've got to feel for all three of these men. I mean, they're they're near the end of this colossal war 
of which the world has never seen anything like this before. They don't know exactly how it's going to play out. They don't know what's going to happen after it's over. But it's up to these men who are pretty much in charge because they have all the gold and they have all the arms. They've got to somehow organize and craft something to to put the world back together because it has been, obviously, Europe has been devastated. And you've said this before, but I, I, I find this so fascinating. All Stalin cares about is making sure this never happens again. Germany has invaded twice within living memory. He's obsessed with Russian security. Why shouldn't he be? But the other two, his allies, um, Churchill and FDR, what their main focus is, is not leaving a vacuum like what had happened at the end of World War I, which helped give the rise, a rise to, to someone like Hitler. So they have very different goals here, but they've got to work this out because it could all fall apart. And they've all got guns and millions of troops facing each other. They can't cannot screw this up. There's got to be compromises. Something's got to work out or it's, or what could come could actually be a lot worse than than the war that they're trying to end now. I think that's a really good point. I, I, I think we always need to remember that this is a very uneasy alliance and people may assume that the uneasy alliances between the US and the UK and uh, on one side and Stalin on the other side, the Soviets on the other side. But as we've pointed out in a number of occasions, it's not like the US and the UK had much love for each other, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Going back to the signing of the Atlantic Charter back in '41, uh, uh, Roosevelt made it very clear, or Frankie, as I'm going to refer to him for the rest of the series. Uh, uh, Frankie, Frankie, Joey and Winnie, I think of them as the original Rat Pack. So that's how I'm going to refer to them. From Sounds now like on. an episode of Friends. Yeah, it could be. Oh, da, 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 da. So no one told you Yalta was supposed to be this way. Um, so Frankie and Winnie, Frankie said to Winnie back in 41, uh, you know what? This whole British Empire thing, got to go. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, oh yeah, and Winnie said... that somewhere uh <laughs> yeah so you know w- w- Winnie kind of is pissed that the u.s is trying to sort of underhandedly deconstruct the trading block which is the british empire uh but he, he knows he doesn't have much choice so it's not like i guess my point is it's not like it's uh those two on one side and stuff like that. all three of them distrust each other yeah on, on, so sorry, it's a very uneasy alliance well, just on a on a certain level, how can FDR help fight against Germany that wants to take over Europe when uh, the British have a much larger empire all over the world? So you can't fight one guy who wants to rule and be okay with the other guy who doesn't, who still wants to rule. So this is the most awkward threesome you will ever hear about in history. Nobody wants oh. to turn around to be the first mm-hmm. to get it, uh, and so they're just going to watch each other. They're going to try to talk to each other, but. This is what I love. I absolutely love about Yalta. You've got Churchill, who will talk all freaking day long, if you let him. You've got FDR, and we're going to go into this later. You've got to wonder, is his mind starting to slip? Because there's a couple of examples in here about, he says things to people like, what the fuck did he just say? And then you've got Stalin over there, who who literally has mastered the poker face. They should call it the Stalin face. He does not Hmm. speak unless he absolutely has to, and his silence is just as telling as his words. So you've got these three different people 
three different styles, but again, they've all got to come together and work this out, or who knows what's going to happen when all these forces finally meet somewhere in Germany. And as we've pointed out in the previous uh, Yalta episodes, going in, perhaps surprisingly, certainly surprisingly to me, going into the Yalta conference, the none of the big three had any real firm plans for what the post-war world was going to look like. The ones that had the best plans were probably the Soviets, at least in terms of what they wanted to do with Germany. But uh, even though the US and the UK had had some sort of internal commissions thinking about the structure of the post-war world, they had a, a rough idea for what the United Nations would look like and how it might work. They really didn't have anything concrete, and they didn't agree with each other no, on the details. Not only that, so but I'll, got- I'll do you one better. Not only did Stalin have the best plans, and he had the intelligence of the other two, um, FDR purposefully went into this not wanting plans. He didn't even want the commission, which we'll go into later. He wanted to get in there, wing it, and just kind of see what felt right for him because he wanted to have a completely free hand to appease Stalin just enough so then he could get what he wanted when it was something that he really wanted. So, I mean, you've got you got FDR over here just free willing it. But again, his mind, maybe, is starting to slip. So again, it's going to be a very interesting confrontation. It's going to be, you know, a clash of titans just on a verbal and intellectual level. A bit like your approach to recording our shows, Ray. Thank just, you. No, no, no you're embarrassing no preparation. me. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> just going just gonna to wing it. It'll be fine. I thought um, this was the Caesar show. Yeah. Until you started talking. Mm. Mm. Uh, so... Um, what else? Yeah, and so from the outset of Yalta, uh, as we've talked about in previous episodes, Joey, Big Joey's working hard to uh, make Frankie feel like he's the man. Right. He's like, oh, Frankie, you are the man. You are, you are, you are so wise. Um, it's probably a deliberate tactic to separate the US and the UK as much as he can. He wants to drive as much of a wedge between them because he feels like it's a bit of an uneven three-way. And, you know, no one knows more about uneven three-ways than you, Ray. You've been in your fair share of awkward uneven three-ways, as I understand it. Been there, done that, still got the pains and rips. Um, But the other thing, and you said this on the previous show, I guess a month, two months ago, I can't remember. Um, During this very conference, Stalin was on the cover of Time magazine. Everybody was in love with Stalin. They were congratulating him about the great uh, Soviet offensive uh, recently that was pushing back uh, the Germans, whereas the Americans had to go back and recapture territory that they had already taken from the Battle of the Bulge. So America in general, there's a certain aspects of uh, America that is in love with Stalin. But you're right, he's absolutely going to try to divide these two. And FDR is just going to go in there and wing it. So this is a recipe for a disaster, but also maybe a massive Russian propaganda victory if Stalin can pull this off and get everything he's after. But Churchill, like I said, is not finished. He's going to come back swinging every chance he can get. But as I've said before, there's also evidence uh, that Frankie and Joey actually genuinely liked each other. Right. Um, they they yeah. had a general, uh, a genuine, yeah, appreciation for each other. And both of them, I think, hoped to have a long working, productive working relationship with the other. Of mm-hmm. course, little do any of them realize at this point how little time Frankie has left to live. Right. Uh, and in fact, out of the three of them, 
only Big Joey is going to be relevant six months later at the end of the war. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so it's going to be It's amazing. good to be the king. It is good to be the king. But again, you just got to... This is just so amazing because Stalin knows what he's going to go after. We're going to get into all this. Obviously, we should quit talking about it and do it and do it. But he is going to just pin these guys into the corner and go after them and not let them up. He's going to embarrass them. He's going to prove when they say something that is false or or that goes against something they said previously. He is ready for this. He is a master uh, manipulator and, um, and speaker. And he's going to go after these guys and he's going to more than carry his own. So, day two of the Yalta Conference. The second session of the conference uh, begins at four o'clock on the afternoon of February 5, 1945. And I have to say, Mm -hmm. I respect this. That's what time of day I like to start work as well, Ray. I peak. Generally, well, I, I generally get up relatively late have a nice relaxed breakfast, maybe some bacon, maybe some eggs, maybe some uh, just a homemade muesli I like to concoct, a bit, bit of raw nuts, a bit of yogurt. Um, have a coffee, read the news, catch up on Facebook, answer a few emails, slowly. Right. I like to slowly ease it in. make my way. Yeah, ease it in. <laughs> you know all about that. I like to just ease it in. I like to get to the point where the day says to me, is it in yet? And I go... <laughs> We're getting there. I'm halfway done. Let's yeah. not rush this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. Let's not rush this. Where's the romance, baby? Where's the romance? That's civilized. I, I feel like it's very European. Exactly. And I like to really you know, get too stressed out about my day. Probably why I'm broke, but that's another story. I'm broke, but happy. Yeah. That sounds like a Alanis Morissette song. Nice. Broke, but I'm happy. Um, Poor, but I'm kind. Now... They'd done military questions on day one. Day two, Frankie wanted to focus on the zones of occupation of Germany. I'm doing air quotes around the word (laughs) occupation because that is going to be a bit of a sticking point. Well, this is interesting because, as we said last time, uh, last year, Stalin has made FDR the chairman, which obviously that was more honorific than anything else. So, But at this particular point... FDR is going to use his his um, nicety title, if you will. He's going to use that to try and lay down what they're going to talk about during the day. So he's going to put out the topics that he's he's going to want to talk about. But little does he know that Stalin's got his own plans for the agenda that day, and they're just going to have to <laughs> work through this as best they can. But again, they both have things they want to talk about, and neither one of them are willing to back off. I like how you just talk about what's going to happen. You know, yeah. tell me I'm what set, actually happened. You just say up. what's going to happen. I'm all about foreplay. All about this is what I'm going to do to you, baby. Okay, it's only two minutes, so I better tell you because you might miss it if you blink. So um, what Frankie really wants to talk about uh, is um, French participation. Now, you know, he, 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 he likes a three-way, right. Frankie. But he thinks a four-way, particularly when you get the French involved, yeah. if you've never had a four-way with a well, Frenchman, you, you don't know what you're missing no. out, particularly one that's six foot five. Right. Um, so he wants to get the, the, you know, get the discussion of France. He'd already brought this up with uh, Joey the day before at their private meeting. Um, you know, he thinks they should get a seat at the table. Uh, Joey doesn't. He thinks the the French were fucking useless. They did nothing, put up no resistance to the Nazis. They shouldn't be entitled to any of the spoils. Right. But the US and the UK want France involved for a number of reasons. Uh, one, 
they want someone on the mainland in Europe to keep an eye on the Soviets. Right. Uh, and second, because, as Frankie knows, but the other two don't at this juncture, but they will very soon, the US are going to pull all of their troops out of Europe and someone's going to need to keep the Germans in line. Yeah, and so so here's FDR. He's like He's made his speech. He's like, here's what I want to bring up. And he whips out his map. And he, he said, look, I've already got, um, we, you wanted to talk about dismemberment. Here's a map. I've, d- I've, I've done some drawings, some last second drawings. Uh, take a look at it. Tell me what you think. But Stalin, even at the very beginning of this meeting, does not fall for the bait. He doesn't even look at the map because everything that, uh, that FDR said about, Fr- about France, Stalin completely wants to ignore. So he, he counters with what he wants to talk about all the while ignoring the map that FDR worked on for him. Oh, sorry about that. Um, yeah, and you got to love the genius of Stalin. He's he spent the first day building up Frankie, mm-hmm. going, dude, you, you are the leader. You rock. You are the leader of this conference. You are the man. You've got it. You've got the grooves. You've got the moves. And then on day two, he just completely ignores what Frankie wants to talk about and just says, <laughs> no, 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 no. We're going to talk about what I want to talk about. What he wants to talk about isn't France, isn't occupation. He doesn't, he doesn't care about occupation. He wants to talk, as you said, the word dismemberment, yeah. which creeps me out a little bit. I don't know what you think of when you think of dismemberment. Mm-hmm. Maybe I watch too many seasons of Dexter. Probably. But uh, for me, dismemberment is involves a hacksaw or a chainsaw and uh, black heavy-duty garbage bags and then <laughs> dumping the parts uh, into the uh, Miami Sound. And all, and all around you are pictures of the countries that have been, that have been taken down by Hitler. <laughs> no, but the other, yeah. the other part of this I like, Stalin says, well, yeah, whatever, here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about, and we're going to go into detail about this in just a moment, but he says, I want to talk about <laughs> possible dismemberment of Germany. I want to talk about setting up a new government. I want to us all to get together and define what unconditional surrender means. And I want to talk about reparations. But even but this is an important point to make. He doesn't say, I want to talk about dismemberment and I want it done now. And this is something I desperately want. No, he just wants the topic brought up. He just wants it discussed. He doesn't want to take the lead on it. He wants them to take the lead on it, but secretly in his heart of hearts, and he's talked to Molotov about this, this is something that he wants very much. And because he wants it, he doesn't want them to know that he wants it. And he wants them to lead off and to work out all the details. He just wants Germany weaker, divided, politically split up. Again, you can't blame the guy. He's lost millions of people and billions of dollars worth of goods to Germany twice within living memory. So why do you think he doesn't want it to look like it's his idea? I I think Stalin's MO is if I want something, I'm going to pretend I don't want it. If you went out on a date with Stalin, he would not touch you. He would not hold your hand. He wouldn't say anything romantic. (laughs) If he wants to nail you, he's going to act like that's the exact opposite, the last thing that he wants. So he's got his reasons because he's going to talk about reparations later, but he wants them to come up with it because he thinks, because he's paranoid, if he wants it and he brings it up, they're going to shoot it down. And there's two of them and only one of him. 
So and that and now they're talking about bringing France in, make it three to one. Forget that he is going to pretend he doesn't want it, but he's going to also pretend, hey, this was your idea. So let's go ahead and get this out and start working on it. Meanwhile, he desperately wants uh, Germany politically divided and made a lot weaker. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I've been thinking a lot about why he might want it to look like it was their idea. I, I think it might have had something to do with just world perception of oh. the breaking up. I don't think he wanted the Soviets to be blamed for it. I don't right. think he wanted the Germans to be able to blame the Soviets for it or world opinion to blame the Soviets for it. I mean, uh, we already understand that the Soviets uh, had uh, a reputation. People were worried about uh, the Soviets and their plans for global communist uh, revolution. Mm -hmm. He had been partners, of course, as we know, with uh, Hitler for a couple of years at the beginning of the war. Then Hitler betrayed him. I think he was concerned that it would just look vindictive or mean and there would be blowback on the Russians if it looked like it was a Soviet idea that he pushed hard for. It's going to play much better in the court of world opinion if he can say, hey, look, you know, this wasn't our idea. This was uh, the, the Americans and the British wanted to do this. We went along with it, but uh, and we're happy. Don't get me wrong, but right. I don't think it's about fooling Roosevelt and Churchill so much. I don't think there's... I mean, he'd already discussed it with them in previous meetings. They'd all agreed. Uh, I don't think... And, and in fact, dismemberment was put on the agenda first by the Soviets. I don't think he's trying to fool them. I think he's worried about how it's going to play afterwards in the court of public opinion. Right. And if I can add on to that, because he's had um, Litvinov, uh, the guy who used to be foreign um, commissar before uh, Molotov, he, he's already been given reports that there's a very good chance that the American people and the British people will not be happy with dismemberment. And so he doesn't really get, again, like you were saying, he's paranoid about his perception. He doesn't want the average American, the average British voter mad at him because if they get, if they get fearful, then FDR and uh, Churchill might not be able to go along with this. So he needs this to come from them, but you are absolutely right. Even though, and this is a very long story, we can go into it or not go into it. The very first mention of dismemberment was not by, done by Churchill or FDR. It was done by Stalin. And it was done by Stalin in November of 1941, when the German hordes were literally like, what, 65 kilometers from Moscow. And to me, that's just absolutely fascinating. The Nazis have kicked everyone's ass that they have come in contact with, and they've done it pretty quickly. So now he's into Russia. Yeah, it's taken a little, it's taken a little longer because Russia's so big. But it looks like Russia is going to go down just like everybody else has. And here's Stalin... Probably, you know, 3 a.m., he's Twittering, he doesn't know what to do, he can't sleep because he's paranoid, he's going to lose his capital, he's going to lose his country, probably lose his life. And he sends a message to the to the British, the Soviet British ambassador uh, in London, and he says, hey, you know what, um, it might be a good idea, Stalin wants us to talk about, wants us to think about breaking up Germany after the war to make it a lot weaker. So I'm sort of thinking, why would you possibly think that when you're about to get your ass handed to you? Why would you actually send it to your ambassador in London when probably probably within the next couple of weeks, Moscow is going to be overrun by the Germans and they're going to keep going? Why, why would you send that kind of message? To me, it makes no sense, but maybe Stalin was just an opportunist, opportunist or that's just the way his mind works. When he's near defeat, hmm. he sees it as a possible opportunity. 
Yeah. Or it was just a way of uh, demonstrating extreme confidence. Ah. Uh, remember at the time, the the uh, British and, and the Americans who hadn't actually entered the war yet, but were... were you know, gearing up for it, mm-hmm. we're still worried that the Soviets were going to capitulate uh, and or get defeated. And he's showing extreme forms of confidence. Right. At that church. You know, um, I've been thinking once the war is over and we defeat the Germans, uh, I think we should break them up into little bits. What do you think? What? what, what, um, what? So anyway, back to Yalta. So he is determined to get this on the agenda on day two. He wants Frankie and Winnie to commit to a plan of dismemberment. But here's the thing. I mean, we're going we're gonna to skip over a lot of the backstory, but basically here's, here's what you need to know. Uh, back between 41, 42, 43, and a little bit of 44, FDR and Churchill were for dismemberment. But as the years go by... And this, is, and this is kind of interesting because it's done in, independently. FDR's... Um, State Department and Churchill's Foreign Office basically start talking these guys out of it. They're like, no, 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 you can't do this. If you divide up Germany, we are going to have to keep so many troops and all these little different countries for so long. There is no way the taxpayers are going to go for that. There's no way that they're going to want to see their loved ones gone for, I mean, we're talking years, probably a decade or two. So by the time the conference is coming up, these two guys are a lot more cool on the idea than they were. They also don't want to work out anything right now. They don't want to work out any details. But here's the big thing. Churchill knows, and you, you mentioned this earlier, that an election is coming up. He wants this issue studied in a committee over years because he wants the war to end and then the election to go by where hopefully he's reelected. And then we can talk about dividing or not dividing up Germany. How many countries should it be? That kind of stuff. So these two guys don't want anything decided right now. And Stalin wants a decision right here, right now. And of course, Joey knew that the other two were wavering <laughs> right. on the issue. How did he know? Because spies. spies. Shut up. I have to go. But if I find one single dog hair when I get back, I'll rub sand in your dead little eyes. Very good, sir. I also need you to go buy sand. Yes, sir. I don't know if they grade it, but... Of course. You want to do it again and put on some interracial porn? God, it's like my brain's that tree and you're those little cookie elves. Uh, just a second. No, baby, don't answer that. I have to, sorry. It's mother. Mother, hey. I not believe you. Just a second. No, turn it, turn it on. I, I can do both. <laughs> Who couldn't? Who couldn't? I could watch Archer and do that. That'd be awesome. Spies. Spies, Spies baby. Right. So he knew yeah. that they were wavering. He needs to get them to commit. And so by asking them the question, as he did... The president or prime minister still adhere to the principle of dismemberment, do they? Uh, he's putting them on the spot. They have to either commit themselves to dismemberment or admit that they've changed their previous position and right. then explain why they had done so, <laughs> which, as you explained, is going to be embarrassing because of the reasons. Now, there are more reasons, I think, why they... I'm rethinking this, and, and I'm going to go into some detail about what I think they were thinking. All right. Um, but I, I want to go back a step and point out, though, that keeping German, uh, well, the German-speaking regions separate wasn't a new idea. 
it had been French policy since Napoleon defeated the Austrian Empire back in 1806, mm-hmm. uh, where which was still sort of the Holy Roman, the German Holy Roman Empire at the time, uh, had been for thousand odd years since the collapse of the real Roman Empire. Uh, it was a sort of a collection of uh, semi-autonomous nations that had been ruled by the Habsburgs, and Napoleon broke it all up. Uh, and then breaking up all of those countries had been considered again after World War One. Mm. It was it was uh, something that they were considering as being part of the Treaty of Versailles. Now, of course, there are many reasons why everyone from Napoleon through to the Allies uh, after World War One wanted to break up Germany, uh, the German nations, or to break up any large country. If you break up a large country, you weaken their ability to put together a large army, obviously. Mm-hmm. But you also weaken their ability to, f- to function as a great economic power. And, of course, the two are inextricably linked, keeping in mind our central premise that we mapped out in the economics episode, that war is an extension of economics by other means. Right. The end goal of any war is usually to cripple your enemy economically. But the Allies, after World War I, had already tried to break Germany economically by forcing massive reparations upon it. And by this stage, by late 1945, there was a general understanding, I think, on behalf of many people that it was the huge reparations that created economic hardships in Germany that then allowed Hitler to rise to power. No one wanted to go through all of that again. So they're thinking of, of different ways of handling it. But particularly the U.S. wanted to keep Germany economically strong. So it could buy American products. Absolutely. Thank you. There's no point having a, po- <laughs> having a poor Germany after the war. Defeats the whole purpose. The purpose of the war is to create a market for American products from the American perspective. You know? um, and, and if you have all these countries that are destroyed economically, they can't buy your shit. They can't buy your shit. What was the point? Right. The UK, of course, had very much the same idea. They wanted to keep Germany strong enough so, A, it would pre- they, the, Germany could help prevent the Soviets from taking over the European economy and European trade. Um, but also they thought that a, a, a weakened Germany would, uh, particularly if they got rid of their industrial capacity, would become a market for British uh, and, and British Empire products and services. They wouldn't be able to make shit themselves in Germany. They'd have to bring it in. So I I guess I I just want people to realize that there are different things at stake here than just we don't want Germany to have a military again. Right. There are are fundamental economic and trade-based reasons for these discussions about dismemberment or not dismemberment, occupation, who's going to occupy which parts, etc., well, here's the thing that I like. So Stalin's pretty much, 
you know, he's even though he, he rarely talks, he takes his pipe out and he's like, uh, my two friends, you have told me previously that you want dismemberment and now you tell me you don't. Please explain why. And Churchill can't just say, well, we want to give it a think. This was, is how Churchill the... says, we want to give it a think. He says, in principle, we are agreed on the dismemberment of Germany. But the actual method was much too complicated to settle here in five or six days. It would require a very searching examination of the historical, ethnographical, and economic facts and would need prolonged consideration by a special committee, which would have to go into the different proposals, put forward, and advise on them. So Churchill's like, yeah, 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 we'll get to it, but we're not going to decide now. We can't do it now. We're only here for five or six days. Let's just set up a special committee, give them a couple of years, whatever. Let me get past these elections and get voted back in, which to me is pretty pathetic. But as we pointed out on this show time and again, politicians only care about themselves. They don't care how many people die. They don't care what's good for anybody else. They just want to get reelected so they don't have to go out and get a real job. And so he wants this all drawn out until after the next elections. But Stalin is not happy with this, and he keeps pushing on it. So supposedly they've agreed not to agree or to figure figure it out at this particular moment. And so they're going to move on to the idea of un- unconditional surrender. But Stalin is going okay. to use this supposedly different topic to go back to dismemberment and keep hitting them over the head and keep trying to force them to make a decision that he wants to hear. All right, let's go back a bit, dude. Yeah. You're getting you're getting too far ahead of the game here, Sorry. man. You, you, you're skipping. This is Reader's Digest, Ray. Gotcha. Uh, Joey um, reminded them that when he had suggested a three-way dismemberment of Germany during his Moscow visit, Frankie had proposed five separate countries mm-hmm. when they were at Tehran. Now, at Tehran... Uh, as we've, I think, mentioned before, Frankie got talking about his German travels when he was a young gallivant <laughs> and said that he thought the country would be much happier when it was divided into 107 principalities. Good God. Then in, in October 44, Winnie had said he was in favour of the plan proposed by the American Treasury Secretary Henry Morgenthau, who we've mentioned before. I think he was the uh, chairman of Dumbarton Oaks Conference. Uh, Morgenthau's plan was not only the political dismemberment of Germany, but also he wanted to transform it into an agricultural country, get rid of all of their industrial capacity, as I mentioned before, uh, move move, move most of the heavy equipment into the USSR. And um, Churchill liked that idea because, as I said before, he thought it would make them uh, a market uh, for, for British goods and services. But... When news of the Morgenthau plan was picked up by the U.S. press, even Frankie had to distance himself from it for political reasons. As you've mentioned earlier, there was this concern held by the U.S. State Department that uh, a dismemberment would require the U.S. to have a, a maintain a military in Germany for God knows how many years to come, a bit like Iraq. And uh, at that time, that was anathema to the U.S. They didn't think anyone would would want to justify that. Of course, now we take it for granted that the U.S. will just send armies into places and just fucking leave them there for 20 years. Yeah. But back at the end of World War II, no one really anticipated that happening. So Joey brings out his own charts that Litvinov had prepared, giving examples of a four-way, a five-way, and a seven-way 
division of Germany. Don't get too excited, Ray, thinking about a seven. Too late. Uh, Hands above the desk, Ray. (laughs) Um, But as you said, Joey didn't want it to look like it was coming from the Soviets. He was like, hey, my name is Paul and this shit's between y'all. You guys work it out. Just tell me what you want to do. Because uh, you've both told me you think this is what should be done, and I'm just taking a lead on this. I'm 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 just Big Joe, man. I I, I don't have a I don't have a, a, a horse in this race. You tell me what you think. Right now, um, the the election, as you mentioned, uh, in England is coming up. Just to remind people, elections had been put on hold in England during World War Two. And again, to remind people, Winnie never won an election to become prime minister in the first place. Mm-hmm. Winning elections wasn't his strong suit. Uh, he, he, he uh, as we've explained before, tended to piss a lot of people off. No one really liked him, despite the mythologization of Churchill after World War Two. In the day, he was, uh, you know, before he became prime minister, not very well liked. Didn't win an election. Was just sort of given the given the nod by the king. You fat man, uh, how about you become prime minister for a while? Eh? All right, very good. And back home, there was this uh, guy called Sir Percy James Grigg, who Winnie had himself unexpectedly unexpectedly made the Secretary of State for War. Um, he was back home in the UK arguing that forced dismemberment would provoke resistance, that it would enable Hitler to get the Germans to fight harder, fight longer if they thought that their country was going to be broken up. So he was arguing against that. So when he's got to be cautious about what is said on record about dismemberment, Frankie didn't have an election to worry about. He's just been re-elected. But still, as you've pointed out, is worried about how it's going to play back at home, pretty much for the same reasons. Um, you know, this this idea of long-term occupation of Germany, a commitment of American troops, but also this idea of a strong Germany economically is going to have the ability to buy American products and services. And if you break it up, it's going to be harder for them to do that. So on one hand, the official American position is don't do it. Uh, on the other hand, Frankie himself seems to find the idea irresistible. He, he, he doesn't give a fuck what his State Department <laughs> thinks, really, at this point in time. Um, uh, you know, and, and if he knew that he only had a few months left to live, he might have been even more cavalier about it. So anyway, there's, there's a lot of, um, lot of debate. The sta- U.S. State Department had told him that if... Germany was economically weakened. It would become susceptible to communism right. and they would lose the market. The people would rise up. They would you know, form a communist government. They would want to join the communist uh, trading blocks. So the, again, it's, it's, a lot of it is about economics. A lot of it is about trade. I think this is something that people don't tend to take into account when they're thinking about why these things happen. And a month before Yalta, Winnie had written to Anthony Eden, his foreign secretary, saying, I shall myself prefer to concentrate upon the practical issues which will occupy the next two or three years rather than argue about the long-term relationship of Germany to Europe. It is a mistake to try to write out on little pieces of paper 
what the vast emotions of an outraged and quivering world will be either immediately after the struggle is over or when the inevitable cold fit follows the hot. These awe-inspiring tides of feeling dominate most people's minds and independent figures tend to become not only lonely but futile. Guidance in these mundane matters is granted to us only step by step, or at the utmost a step or two ahead. There is, therefore, wisdom in reserving one's decisions as long as possible and until all the facts and forces that will be potent at the moment are revealed. Now, that combined with what he said at Yalta that you read out before, mm-hmm. that uh, you know, very searching examination of the historical, ethnographical and economic facts, blah, 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 <laughs> prolonged committee. This is the same guy who 20 years earlier just drew a fucking line through the sand of Mesopotamia and said, well, this, will, this is one's Iraq and this one's Iran. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So either he's learned something since then. Right which I doubt, or he's just protecting British interests. Yeah, it's their backyard, yeah. Well, and it's also this whole, uh, what has been long-standing British policy of keeping the powers in Europe divided and fighting each other so they don't gang up and get their shit together. They don't form a European Union. Uh, you know, which is something that Napoleon had tried to do. It's the main reason that the British fought the French during the wars of the French Revolution and on through Napoleon's period was to uh, prevent a new united Europe that could become an economic threat to England. So it's the same sort of thing here. He didn't give a fuck about Mesopotamia. We'll draw a line through the sand. No one gives a shit. Uh, they didn't give a fuck about Israel, cre- creating Israel out of Palestine at the end of World War II either. Ah, if I can just draw a line. Yeah, you, you, Jews can have that part. The Arabs can go to that part. It'll be fine. What could possibly go wrong? What? What do you mean study the history of the period and the ethnographical and economic facts. Hey, it doesn't matter. British. It's the Middle East. Yeah. But uh, when it comes to Europe, big fucking difference. And, uh, and, and he's going to be much more careful here than he is in, when it comes to the Middle East. And, and the other part, of course, is if you take Germany, you break it up, you take away its industry, the people suffer. They're, 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 they're starving. They don't know what to do. They're going to be desperate. Uh, what's that saying? Even the, the drowning man will grasp at the, at the uh, tip of a sword, that kind of thing. If someone comes along who's a great speaker, maybe funny hair, funny must, mustache, and says, join me and I will bring Germany back together and we will bind our country back together and I will raise you to such heights. So again, not are they only worried about the Soviets marching into a power vacuum, but they're also worried about another strong man rising and starting the shit all over again. So again, Churchill and FDR are worried about how World War II ends and what comes right after that. Stalin is ma- is obsessed with making sure there's no World War Three, or at least it doesn't involve him. I thought you were going to say someone will come up with funny hair, orange skin, <laughs> uh, will start talking about building a wall. <laughs> well, here, here's the best thing I saw on Facebook today. Someone put on, uh, someone had a sign that said, "Don't blame Trump. He demonstrated to us time and again that he's not um, qualified for the office." Yeah, yeah. I keep saying that to Chrissy. She keeps saying he's got to go. I say Trump's not the fucking problem, man. It's not Trump that's the problem. Yeah, he's that's, a reflection of you know, yeah, what's going on. Yeah, 
He's a symptom right. of the underlying problem. It's yeah. never the guy or the woman that that's, uh, gets elected. It's about the people that elected him and who's caused the conditions that have made the people so angry and disillusioned and dumb that they want to vote for these people in the first place. That's the root of the problem. Not the Get rid of Trump, another Trump will, will rise up mm-hmm. in his place. Less orange, but still less, I mean, just equally... Uh, unqualified, but again, the twelve billion dollars or fifteen they're talking about now to build the wall. I just wish they could find some other more practical use for that money. But hey, you know, I'm not in charge, so I guess. Well, we'll I read see today. I read today that he now says he's going to pay on it, pay for it by putting a tax on Mexican imports. Yeah, now, who's going to pay? Who's going to pay the tax? Well, um, yeah, good point. But my my point is this: I mean, can no, you can, can you tax imports to the no, point of twelve billion dollars? Who's going to pay the tax, Ray? Who's going to pay? Uh, it's I not imagine a, it's not a it's not a rhetorical question. Who's going to pay the tax on imports from Mexico? Yeah. No, answer the question, Ray. Who's going to pay for imports? That's going to be us. Who's going to pay? Yes. Yeah. It's the Americans that are going to pay the tax. So Americans are going to pay for the wall, not Mexico. So we're going to directly pay. We're going to immediately pay for the wall and then pay ourselves back. No, I'm making that shit up. But anyway, I mean, yeah, it's a clusterfuck. (laughs) Anyway, back to uh, (laughs) Churchill and the German thing. So um, Frankie again mentions his trips to Germany in his youth. And everyone starts yawning and fidgeting and looking uh, awkwardly out the window. Um, I've got some quotes on that. Uh, Bolin, who was Frankie's translator, uh, American diplomats, said Roosevelt's rambling and inconclusive statements, which did not hang together, mm-hmm. were greeted with polite indifference by the Soviet leaders and by slight signs of boredom by the British. Churchill fiddled with his cigar and Eden looked off into the distance. Damn, when is this old guy oh. going to quit talking? Yeah, it's so awkward, man. He's like, well, uh, I remember. And they're like, dude, you dude. fucking told us that like 20 minutes ago. I was I on mean, my bicycle and I would drive around and the people were so happy. Let's go back to those yeah. days. And he's the chairman. It's, it, it, it sounds like he had Alzheimer's. I mean, yeah, I'm not making fun of the guy. Yeah, yeah, it sounds, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Had some form of Alzheimer's. I mean, my mother-in-law, Chrissy's mum, has it and it's... Uh, it's sad to, to, you know, watch her repeat herself every 10 minutes and not be aware of it. And But we're a little bit more diplomatic about it than the Soviets and the British were in this thing. Uh, I, I hope. Um, uh, yeah. So anyway, he talks about his trips again. He's, he talks about dividing Germany into five or seven states. Winnie interrupts him and says, all less, all less. <laughs> Frankie says he's flexible on the number of states, but he really likes the idea of dismemberment, regardless of what the U.S. State Department keep trying to tell him. So um, anyway, it ends up with uh, Churchill doesn't want to talk dismemberment. Stalin is all for dismemberment. Roosevelt ends up on Stalin's side, not for the last time in the conference or even on this day. Mm -hmm. And Churchill is forced to retreat. All he asked was that they didn't inform the Germans. Frankie agrees, says it would be a great mistake to have any public discussion of dismemberment of Germany. Joey suggests that the dismemberment should be included in their demands for unconditional surrender, but without going into any details. And as it's getting late in the day, 
they agreed that the specifics would be discussed the next day in a meeting of the foreign ministers. Yeah. Um, now, despite Boland's remarks about Frankie's uh, Alzheimer's rambling and repeating himself, the Soviets, according to their own internal transcripts of the discussions, fully appreciated what he was going on about. They believed that Frankie, like Joey, wanted an immediate decision on dismemberment. They felt he was in their camp. But the next day, the foreign ministers meet and uh, the British, led by Eden, insist that instead of the word dismemberment in a statement that they're going to put out, they should use the word dissolution. Mm. We're going to dissolve, not dismember. Which pretty much, I think, means the same thing, but doesn't sound as violent for my money. You know, you dissolve right. an aspirin in water and you get a nice, like, sort of fizzy sound and bubbles go up your nose. <laughs> Dismemberment is more a hacksaw and Dexter and black garbage bags. Yeah, I, I, I kind of get their point. Yeah, but dissolution, but I, yeah. I mean, you could have a federation. Maybe you could have some states that are pretty autonomous. So we're not breaking you up, but each region is going to have a lot more independent power, which we like. Which is pretty much the same thing. You can't coalesce around that and and have the military that you would if you were a single entity. So again, it's it's um it's them trying to um to modify it to uh, appease Churchill. But Molotov doesn't go for that, and he immediately objects to the word dissolution. Yeah, but I love this story. So Molotov and Eden fight. Um, Ivan Maisky, who we've mentioned before, and we're going to get into him more in, uh, I think, the next episode, um, one of the, the Russian diplomats who was there, one of Molotov's juniors, mm-hmm. he approaches Eden and expresses his concerns over the wording, and Eden gets all up in his face <laughs> and says, I will remind you that we are still an independent power. <laughs> and I, my note here is like, wow, fucking issues. Like the the British <laughs> well, he was must tired. be feeling. He was very... tired. It had been hours, and he was freaking tired of the freaking Russians. And he just snapped at the end of this, and he couldn't take it anymore. He he did what Churchill probably wasn't allowed to do. I just I just think it's a sign that the British are really feeling this junior partner thing right now. <laughs> like no one no one gives a shit what they think. Churchill's lost battle after battle in the in the Lavidia Palace and they're really feeling it. Like 20 years ago, top of the world, the British fucking ruled one quarter of the world's economy. Now they're uh, getting kicked around by the Soviets and the Americans who they despise privately. And uh, I think they're, I think they're just feeling it, man. Their self-esteem's taking a beating. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Molotov finally gives in, accepts the British wording. That afternoon, Stalin greets Eden warmly and says, "You have won again." Pats him on the back, gives him a little punch. Eden feels pretty chuffed about this. <laughs> writes to his wife that night, "My obstinacy did good, I think." But. This is fucking Stalin at his best. He gets what he wants and then makes the British feel good about it. That's right. You win. We will do it your way. But Germany is still going to be dismembered. Good job. You win again. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> oh, you British. You are too good for us poor dumb Soviets. <laughs> but did he really get what he wanted? He has their commitment to the idea of dismemberment. yes. But no specifics are agreed on. Right. This will come back to bite him on the ass 
later. And again, don't get too excited, Ray. No. Um, now, I think the person who probably won this session was Frankie. Mm-hmm. Again, apart from the fact that he's a rambling old Alzheimer's patient, he is acting the role of intermediary between the two. He gets to cast the deciding vote on these things. And he's proving to be more of an ally in many ways to the Soviets than to the British. And again, I want to remind people that really America's interests coming out of World War II are to get access to foreign markets for their goods and services, Mm -hmm. which means getting access to the British trading bloc, the the British Empire, breaking up their control over that, getting access to the rest of Europe, and ideally getting access to the Soviet Union as well. Um, And, uh, you know, by, by significantly weakening the British and buddying up to the Soviets... Roosevelt probably feels like he is getting exactly what he wants. Weaken the British and uh, develop friendlier relations with the Soviets. And the great irony is that the British can snap at the Russians all day long, but the truth is that the British Empire is losing its status to the United States, not to Soviet Russia. It's the United States that's going to have the massive Navy all over the high seas. We're going to have uh, the massive armies in the Air Force in Europe watching everything. So again, they are losing their status, but they're snapping at the Germans, but they're losing it to the to the Americans. But you've just got to vent however you possibly can. And I think you're absolutely right. FDR is gaining so much political capital by being the honest broker at this point, because you know Churchill and uh, Stalin are going to go to head-to-head on most, if not all of these issues. And so that means the tie-breaking vote is going to come down to FDR. That is the perfect position for him to really watch out for American interests only. Uh, So that's not the end of day Two, they do go on to discuss the role of France. We're going to have to leave that for the next episode. But before we wrap up episode 31, I want to read a review and also acknowledge our new heroes. Yes. Been quite a few since the last time we did that. Good. Uh, The review I want to read is from the end of last year from the United States from a user AK2Alexander. Uh, He or she says, this is the third podcast that I've followed, which is produced by Cam and Ray. What can I say? It's awesome. There are a lot of history podcasts out there. Some are informative, but boring, like any of the great courses lectures. Some are fun, but under-researched. This podcast, however, is never boring and slips in knowledge in between jokes, music, and, well, randomness. The Cold War is recent history, and a lot of people get emotional over such a close date to the now. However, Cam doesn't shy away from sharing his opinions on Castro, for example. While I disagree with him, I can't say he doesn't back up his arguments and doesn't do his homework. Ray also does a World War II podcast, which I highly recommend. He brings his knowledge of that conflict into the Cold War podcast, which is up to the Yalta Conference with lots of knowledge and natural know-how. Don't know who the Cambridge Five are? Ever wonder just what happened at Yalta or Potsdam or set the stage for the fallout between the US and the USSR? If not, that's a shame. World peace seemed close in 1945, but slipped from humanity's grasp. Here we are on the eve of 2017, and the Cold War is a conflict which brought us from the age of my grandparents to our current time. Ray and Cam are our great tour guides into why this happened. Do not listen to this if you want a brief review. 
Do not listen to it if you have no sense of humor. Listen to it if you agree with your friends that you could lighten up. Listen to it if you want a detailed story on how we got to where we are now. Listen to it if you like talking to friends about history with the interruptions of cell phone interruptions to play clips from an awesome song or a personal inference slash joke is made. Dull teachers and professors need not apply. Both podcasters have other podcasts under their belt to build up on for experience and technique. They've become good friends and it's charming hearing them joke around like 14-year-old boys who just took their first health sex ed class. (laughs) Is it worth paying for? I must say, yes. I've listened to over 50 history podcasts, many from beginning to end, and I can't say that many are worth a payment. I consider myself radically socialist in many ways, except especially with the idea of freedom of the arts. Hold on, you consider yourself radically socialist, but you disagree with me on Castro? What the fuck? I'd love to know more about that. Anyway, keep going. However, if it will help these two continue with this project and on other experiments, it's definitely something I feel people should pay for. Judge for yourself. Understand going into this that there are a lot of inside jokes and that it is not classroom friendly. It is research and fun friendly, though. I hope these two clowns, and yes, I will say it, historians get around to the war on terror when they finish this one. May I also suggest Peter the Great, as Ray suggested, when the life of Alexander is over. Yes, you may, but we're not doing it. Never got my mugs for my reviews on their other two shows. Hmm. But if this review helped push them over the edge into gold category, that's fine with me. Uh, if If we read out your reviews and you didn't get the mugs, it's probably because Ray... Fell down on the job. I have um, medical marijuana. It's it's a complicated story, but she should um, send us an email and or tell he. us which of the mugs she wants. Or he, he. I'm sorry, or he. he, or he, or he. Uh, yes, if you if if you if we owe you mugs, let us know. We, we it's not too late for us to send them. Nope. There are probably only ten podcasters I have gone out of my way to reach out to and would like to have a coffee or limoncello someday. Corsica, baby, looking forward to it. Uh, yes. Referring to a 2018 trip. Speaking of which, disregard all of the Vegas humor. Cam came to Vegas, saw Ray, and conquered his. Well, listen to the show and you'll get the humor. Any room for criticism? A few small things. More post-1990 music, guys. Listen, I did Jesus Jones today, so I hope that you know got you through that. But listen, no good music's been made since 1984. That's my basic premise. <laughs> Secondly, send out prizes when you promise. Ah, well, okay, sounds like you didn't get that. It's just Ray. Ray's just slack. If it's... Right. Outside of the U.S., I send them. If it's in the U.S., Ray sends them, and then they don't turn up. Yeah. Um, third, that find that magical stimulant that lets you stay awake indefinitely and win the lottery. More free time means more fun for the audience after all. Ray's World War II podcast is highly recommended for listeners to this show, even if they don't care about the conflict. The bios on Winnie, Hitler, Frankie, and Joe. Holy shit. He's calling them Winnie, Frankie, and Joey. Oh no, no, that's no, that was my cut and paste. No, just, Sorry, okay. I cut yeah. and pasted my notes. So yeah. say wow. So he probably he probably didn't refer to them as that. Probably uh, give a lot of insight into the characters discussed. They become human. No longer are they high school book two dimensional dead dudes from seventy years ago. All in all, great show. I'd be fired if I used it in the classroom to teach, but it keeps me entertained and astute. I'd say the Winnie impersonations from Cam alone are worth monthly payments. Keep it up, guys. Let's make this show the winner of the 2017 Podcast Awards. And, well, if these guys can live without sleep and money worries, perhaps a weekly current offense show, wink, wink, peace out, AK2, well, AK2, A, send us an email. Uh, and I will send you all of the coffee mugs that we owe you. Remind me which they are. B, you're going to get at least one of your wishes. We are going to start a weekly current events show in the very near future. 
the first first like episodes is going to be on the uh, civil war in Syria. I've mm-hmm. been prepping for that already. Then I kind of want to do maybe Russia and the Ukraine or uh, maybe the war on terror or maybe, I don't know, something else. Then we'll do Peter the Great. Maybe. I'd like Peter the Great. But actually, after Alexander, should we announce it? I think we can announce it. Sure. I don't think we've publicly announced it. Mm. And it's the other show. But after Alexander the Great, we're going to be doing the Renaissance um, deep, 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 deep in prep for that I am right now because uh, I think Alexander's only got a couple of months left. Um, Renaissance, we're going to be talking about the artists, the inventors, the popes, the, uh, the, the bankers, the Medici, the Borgia, the wars, the, 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 the fucking the whole thing, man. Like uh, Corruption, the, the, religion. Yeah. The new, the yeah. new women, everything. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to take us 10 years. Port, portly uh, nude women. And so for people that are subscribers to Alexander, you will be given the opportunity to port your subscription over to that automatically when Alexander finishes. Or if you've paid an annual payment and it's still running and you don't want to listen to the Renaissance show, I will give you a pro rata refund. Mm-hmm. No problems with doing that either. But it's going to be a fucking corker, man. We're going to go deep deep balls deep into the renaissance so when we go to florence in our 2018 trip you'll already have a really good grounding on 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 what 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 it means why it's important you'll be able to look up at the dome of santa maria del fiore aka the duomo and you'll understand what brunelleschi had to go through in order to create the largest concrete dome in history at the time without using any traditional flying buttresses you'll understand how brunelleschi invented vanishing point 3d perspective and what they did to art you're going to understand more about the popes and and the kings and the 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 fight between the independent um city states of 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 italy and and the, the 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 dark ages and how we came out of the dark ages all of that it's gonna be fucking enormous should that be real <laughs> So that's coming up. Um, uh, and I want to. So these are our heroes, and then we'll, we'll close it down. Mm-hmm. Heroes: Defcon One, new heroes: Kenneth Stacy, Robert Mack, Matt Wasson, Anthony Gilden, Amir Bloom, Ian Carroll, Nick Polk, Richard Beatty, Dylan Harrington, Ethan Manning, Ethan Manning, Ermia Razai Afshar, Andrew McDonough. Kevin Sullivan, James Dowdswell, Stephen Cartoonan, Mary Maxalka, Edward Miniman, Frank M, Michael Dorgan, Tony Quisenen, Galen Thompson, or Galen probably Thompson, Dane Forsyth, Bruce Mann, Rick Kammer, Brian Francisco, Raul Soto, Peter Raymond, Craig Beck, Cody Sutton, Chris Bronson, Scott Spear, Jordan Channel Coene, Kerry Kay, Justin Mann, Mikhail Noviko, Willie Waldron, Anne Falloon, Aaron W, Robert Dry, Jake Such, Aaron Baston, John Shabashow. It's <laughs> a great name. Shabashow. Timothy Hopwood. Jazz hands. Jacob Cranston, I think uh, Brian Cranston's son. Shout out to <laughs> Walter White Jr. Quentin Whitwell. Orlando Kito Lloyd, Anthony Gore, Henning Retskin, Geoffrey Aura, 
Joffrey. Fuck, mm. that's post post bloody Game of Thrones. That's got to suck. Sorry about that, dude. Sorry. Joffrey Aura. I, I, I've decided that, you know, all the memes that are going around about Melania Trump and her look on her face during Trump's inauguration where she just looks terrified. <laughs> I keep telling Chrissy that she knows he's really Joffrey. Uh, you know, he, he turned around to during the inauguration. There's that clip that's doing the rounds where she's got a big smile. He turns around and whispers to her and her face just drops. Oh he said, tonight I'm going to pull out the crossbow. Um, anyway, Corey <laughs> Evans, Nick Holland, Fred Rush, Hope Hudson, Reed Latray, which is spelt like Latrily, but without a Y with an E on the end. Mm. And Dan Dombrovsky. Dombrovsky, thank you, uh, DEFCON 1 supporters. Honestly, uh, we sincerely appreciate Mm -hmm. your support. And we apologize again for the month off, but we are going to make it up to you with uh, live shows. Hope you can join us for that. Keep an eye on Facebook for the live shows. And we have some new DEFCON 2 supporters, Chris Hayes, Lucinda Osmond, Stuart McKenzie, and Nathan Bailey. Even more thank you to those people because they're paying more, so we love you more. Um, uh, And don't forget to take us up on the DEFCON 2 uh, uh, thing where you get to ask a question. Um, And... uh, yeah, so Facebook Live. Keep an eye out for Facebook. I'm going to create an event and uh, get on. We can do a live chat. should be a lot of fun. And that is that episode is 31. We'll be back next week with episode 32. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere.